latest from Scotston. This is Warriors Weekly, Glasgow Warriors' official podcast. Hello and welcome back to Warriors Weekly. On Tuesday, we announced that on June 1st, Dave Rennie's tenure as head coach would be coming to an end, and Danny Wilson would be taking up the role a month earlier than initially planned. With that announcement, we thought it was time we caught up with Dave and looked back on his time as head coach with the club. To help Dave, and to tell a few stories along the way, we enlisted the help of two people who worked closely with Dave throughout his time at the club. Former Glasgow Warriors media manager Jack Reed and former team manager John Manson, or Pump as he's more affectionately known, joined Dave and sat down for a chat. Warriors Weekly, Glasgow Warriors official podcast. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Warriors Weekly. Long-time listeners of the show may recognise my voice. My name is Jack. I started this podcast in 2018 while working as the club's media manager and I'm very touched to have been invited back to host a one-off basis and interview with the club's outgoing head coach, Dave Rennie. Dave and I had a close relationship during our time together at club, which is why I've been kindly invited back for this look back at the gaffer's three years in charge at Scotston. And another man at the core of Glasgow Warriors in recent seasons was former team manager, John Manson. John, who is affectionately known as Pump to all that know him, is now out in Washington with Old Glory DC. And he is also joined today to assist in reminding Dave and I of some of the performances and personalities of the last three seasons. Duncan and Craig will return next week and normal service will be resumed then. However, in the meantime, welcome Dave and Pump to Warriors Weekly. How are you both? How is lockdown treating you? Uh, yeah, good, Jack. I've... Um... 11 weeks in, so it's about 12 without a haircut, mate. I've got an afro, but um, but uh, it's been okay, mate. We're uh, we're safe and healthy. Can't complain. Yeah, Jack, all, all good here. Um, similar sort of lockdown scenario over in the over in DC, but um, I'm I'm coping well. I just need to jump in at the start, though, Jack. I mean, you said I was well known. Um, I seen a tweet recently from the 16th Warrior at um, Glasgow. I mean, that's the fan group, isn't it? Am I right? Been there longer than most, um, and they referred to me as Chunk Manson. So obviously not that well known. I saw that. I thought, I thought it must have been another name you had, mate. It actually fits. So, nah, so just, um, what's happened there is they've seen that you were on one of these Scottish rugby podcasts. They've they've remembered that you used to work for the Warriors. Um, they've remembered you had a nickname. Um, and based, um, based on the fact that you are a um, stockier gentleman, shall we say, they've, they've took a punt and gone with chunks. Absolutely gutted. Ego has taken a proper kick in. <laughs> anyway, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about, it's about Dave Rennie today and he's as the club announced today, um, his departure date from the Warriors has been brought forward a month to allow Danny Wilson to come in and to allow Dave to go to Australia so both coaches can have extra time to prepare for rugby whenever it does start up again. Um, Dave, before we look back, let's look forward. Uh, Danny coming in with Johnny Bell. What can, what can Warriors fans expect from that coaching team? Yeah, obviously... Um... You know, half the group's still there, Jason Heller and myself leaving. Um, oh, I know Johnny pretty well. Um, when he was at Ulster, Johnny and another coach could come down and meet us um, in Africa when I was over there with the Chiefs, and they spent a week 
uh, with us, uh, and we chance to sit around and share ideas and so on. So he's a good man. He's he's been running the defence at Gloucester, and he's going to run the attack here. Uh, but you know, we've spent a bit of time together having a chat around counter attack and some of the stuff we're using, and uh, just to give him an idea of what we've used in the past, I and mean, then he'll he'll make his mind up as to what he does. And and I think with Danny. Um, the idea was he was going to come in after Six Nations, spend time with us and get a chance to have a look at everything and, and then keep what he likes and, and biff out what he doesn't. But um, that wasn't, hasn't been possible, obviously, but um, we've had lots of conversations and Zoom meetings. He's He's been speaking to heaps of people. So I think he's in a really good place. He's used the time well. So, uh, look, I, th I think from a coaching point of view, they've got a really good coaching staff and, and a position to build on what we've done over the past few years. Um, right, let's go right back to the very beginning. Um, and my first question is why, I guess, why, why Glasgow? Like you were, you'd won back-to-back -back Super Rugby's. Your, your CV was pretty impressive. You were coming out of contract. You must have been short of offers. What made you say yes to the Warriors? Yeah. Um, look, I'd, I'd, um, I'd always wanted to go and coach overseas. Um, I'd, I'd spoken to a couple of clubs who had owners who made me pretty nervous, to be honest. Uh, people who wanted to have a say in selection and, and so on, there's no way I could coach in that environment. I, I'd already made up my mind that I was probably just going to stay in New Zealand and, and stay with the Chiefs. And then I got a phone call uh, from Scotland um, about uh, the option that uh, Glasgow was um, Gregor potentially moving to the Scottish team and so on. So. Uh, I knew Gregor, he'd spent a bit of time in our environment uh, a couple of years earlier and I'd followed Glasgow uh, because of that. Um, and I came up here and I met a few people and I did a lot of homework and you know, found out good people, uh, which was important, good culture. And uh, so in the end, yeah, we, uh, we decided to take a punt. Obviously, I've got a bit of Scottish heritage and that's been cool. Had a chance to tiki tour around Stranraer and you know, when my grandfather was born and, and so on. So, um, Look, in the end, it was, a, it was an easy decision, and uh, and we're wrapped. We did it. It's been a been a great three years, actually. So I mean, you must have been you must have had second thoughts, Dave. Can I take you right back to our very first Pro 14 game? So you've done the, you've done Super Rugby, you've travelled business class, you've stayed in some nice hotels. So I pick you up, I take you to Edinburgh Airport. We jump on a Fly B flight to Knock, West Ireland. We sit for two and a half hours on a bus in the middle of nowhere. We then arrive at the sports ground. It is the wettest day I've ever experienced as a manager. We, st we stood in the track that day and got absolutely soaked. And you spent the day up in the coaching box, as we like to call it, which is basically a wooden shack in the middle of the Connet supporters. So what, what were you thinking at that point? Yeah, I will... Uh... I can't. I can't use the language I would have used at the time about what I'd got myself into here. Uh, horizontal rain. Uh, Peter Horn had a shot at goal from about 18 metres out, right in front of the sticks, and went back over his head. So it tells you how uh, how windy it was. Um, literally the worst coach's box I've ever seen. I think it's the um, the greyhound dog commentary box. Um, you got to fight your way through a drunken Connacht supporters, um, all with. Um, pints of beer in their hand and so on and so uh, look fortunately we did enough we won that day and so uh, uh the, the supporters didn't give us too much of a hard time but um 
I was it's certainly a memorable first day, but you know, we made up for it with uh, a win, a couple of quiet beers, and a bit of a sing song that night. Right, let's move on to another game that sticks in my memory from that opening season, which is Munster at home, kind of three, three, four games into the season. And the reason for me that it's so memorable is that we'd, we'd lost against Munster four times the previous season. Um, what are your, do, you have, do you guys have any particular memories of that day? It was 37-10 in the end, we beat them. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, um, the things that stick out for me, um, a couple of things, as, as David had brought from the Chiefs, um, what is now Wally the Warrior, and Dave can maybe ex- explain what that is, but it was a, um, a warrior that the players put together and had a few words and meanings on it. And that was the first day that David brought the, the actual drawing or the picture of Wally into the changing room. So it was quite a quite a big day and had quite a big impact on the team. And secondly, for me, was was Callum Gibbons' performance that day. And there's still a great picture up in the club where he's handing off a Munster player, but he's actually his fist is punching. Well, not punching. Sorry, handing off somebody with a punch in the throat. And it's uh, it looks worse than it is, but it's just a great image of that day and the, the aggression and the, and the look on Cully's face just summed up the performance um, perfectly. And as you say, Jack, it was on the back of the previous season where Munster had uh, whitewashed us. So it was a, it was a great, gay, great, great day for us. Oh, look, it's a lot of personal meaning in that game, wasn't it? Um, like you say, um, Munster had won four times the previous year. So a lot of players have talked to me about that. Um, you know, obviously you were the warrior. Um, it's obviously for those who don't know, it's uh, life size. Um, you know, Scottish warrior. Uh, lots of uh, key things around personal meaning, different things that are on there. Uh, but it had a, a shadowing across his face and down his shoulder, which we call the dark side. And we talked about that before the game. Uh, we got a lot of really good men, good character, uh, care about each other, and you know their family and so on. But when we cross the chalk, we need we need guys who uh, who become a different creature, um, can reach into their dark side and a bit of mongrel and so on. And uh, we saw it in spades that night. It was um, a really brutal performance. And when you play teams like Munster, who are who are so good, uh, you, you gotta you gotta take the games to them. And we dominated the collisions and and uh, you know scored a lot of points off the back of that. So. Yeah, look, it was it was uh, we'd, we'd won the previous three games, but we'd played okay. Uh, it was a real statement that night. I said at the I said at the top that we talk about performances and personalities. Wouldn't be right to talk about your your first few months at the club without speaking about the guy that you made captain and Ryan Wilson. Why did you do that? What was your what did you see in him in preseason and those early games that made you think this is my guy? This is who I'm gonna choose to lead this team. Yeah, it's funny because um, obviously when I announced he was going to be captain, there was a there was a lot of panic in Scottish rugby. Um, obviously, some historical uh, issues there, but I, I wasn't aware of that. I I made the decision based on what I'd seen. I had a couple of visits to Scotstone during the year when I had had a chance. I, I was in the LRG group. Uh, we flew to London a couple of times, so I got a chance to get across to to Scotstone and um, and sit in on a few things and listen to the leaders and so on and. But Ryan struck me as, um, you know, the real heart of the team. Um, speaks passionately, 
Um, he, he obviously loves the physical side of the game. Uh, but what, what impressed me too was his ability to get an arm around guys. He really cared about his teammates and the players. And so, you know, he, he for me, he had that ability to, to uh, you know, become a different creature when he crossed the chalk. Uh, really good caring man off the field. Uh, can be a nasty bugger on it. And, uh, you know, so I really liked, I really liked what I saw in him and uh, thought he did a great job. And but he's grown. And I think he's grown because he's, shared the job with Cully over the last couple of years and uh, who's, a, who's a pretty special man. And um, so I think they both learned a lot of each other. Bumpers, team manager, you must have a story or two to tell about Ryan Wilson. Is there anything that springs to mind that's PG for this podcast? Absolutely nothing I can say on this on this forum about Ryan Wilson. Um, oh. As you'd expect, um, the coaches normally see and get the best out of players. The management the manager normally sees another another side of the players that um, I'm usually the go-to when they get themselves into a bit of trouble or in a spot. Um but no I, I share I share Renzi's thoughts there. You know when he when he was announced as captain, everybody knows what Ryan's like. You know he's a, a proper big character. Um and it was probably a risk making him captain, but Ren's seen enough in him to give him the to give him the role, and I think uh, he adds more than he takes away from a team. That's for sure. You know, he's a big man, and he, as 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 Ren says, what a lot of people don't know about him is he's actually really caring. You know, he's he comes across as a as a brash, funny guy. But if you were ever in trouble, he would he'd be the first man to come and help you out and um, make sure you were okay and a, a genuine time of need. So, and a good shout as a as a skipper, and then the addition of Cully later on was just was just perfect because Callum, um, what he brought was the was everything Wilson never had, was the complete and utter professionalism. Um, Cully brought that side of it. So they were actually, and I know that sounds a bit harsh on Wilson, but he'll know, he'll know what I mean when I say that. Um, Cully, when you look at guys that prepare, and um, Cully's up there with the Horn brothers, you know, in terms of preparation and looking after themselves and, and making sure they have done ticked every box and prepared, as David say, prepared in every single way they can for a Saturday. So to have Wilson and, and then Cully was was actually um, a bit of a yin and yang, I think, to the captaincy, which was which worked well. Yeah, just needs a better approach, isn't he? Because he's he's the perfect role model, Kelly. So yeah, uh, so that they're a good team. They, they worked into work together well. Moving on to another game that stands out for me from your first season in charge. And I guess the reason it stands out for me is because it kind of epitomizes something that became a bit of a theme about your tenure. It was especially working as your media manager and listening to the, the press conferences, you'd always be asked questions about how you were going to deal with the squad during these international windows, because there's only two teams in Scotland. You lose so many players during the autumn and the Six Nations. And actually what we found was that it was often during those periods that domestically we performed better than better than we did all season. And I think a game that really personifies that is Osprey's away. Um, we took a squad. I think I'm right in saying that every available every player that was left available to play played. That the 23 men that played were the last available 23. I think we had 22. I mean, Jacko flew from uh, from Scotland. Yeah, that's right. Right. Well, yeah. even, I think we even we even dug into the academy that weekend because young Kaleem Barreto was on the bench, the nine, 
and I think there might have been another. Can't remember. Yeah, there. But Hammy Burr was there, I think. Yeah, right. So we dug a bit. We dug really deep that weekend into uh, into the squad. And what did you say the score was, Jack? Forty-seven nine. Forty-seven six. Forty-seven six. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. Before. What was impressive about that was when you looked at the numbers. I think we had sixteen guys with the Scottish side that weekend. We had twelve guys injured, so you're down twenty-eight. Still got to put twenty-three guys on the park, and uh, I think what we do pretty well is we never look for excuses. Um, I reckon if you if you start talking about who's missing, you're giving the players who are playing an out that they can perform uh, subpar because you know we're missing this guy and that guy. So. We just made a real effort. We don't talk about who's who's not there. We talk about who's playing, and and uh, the expectation is that you're front in the jersey. And you know, I agree, Jack. Uh, There's a number of our best performances were, you know, when we had a lot of guys missing and other guys rose to the occasion. So yeah, it was a great day. I thought um, the emergence of of guys like uh, George Horn and Adam Hastings that day, and uh, yeah, we just had some great performances from a lot of young men. All right, I was just going to jump on there. Just when you mentioned George Horn, um, I think I think we need to mention the youngsters that have come through, Dave. Um, for me as well, during this period, George Horn, Matt Fagg, Stafford, Adam Hastings, latterly uh, Tom Gordon, again a young man that just came from nowhere and has appeared on the scene recently. Um, I think I think the club and yourselves got to take credit for giving these guys opportunity and giving. Give them a chance to come through, which was a it was a period of transition for the club. Would that be would that be fair to say? Yeah, look, I think we made seventeen changes um, in, in that first year, uh, so there was a bit of a clean out, I guess, and and you know we, we put a big emphasis on on trying to identify good young kids and bring them through, and then other guys emerged out of club footy and, and got their chance. But yeah, look. I, you know, there's a lot of good young players that come through. I think Scott Cummings has really jumped out of the pack in, in the last couple of years, and uh, he's going to be a hell of a, an international player. And you know, you look at guys like Bruce Flockhart being hampered with a lot of injury, but um, you know, an incredible performance he put in his last game for us this year. And um, so, yeah, look, there's a lot of talent here, and um, I, I think it's probably the benefit of having a lot of international players. We can only play those boys for four or five weeks in a row. You know, you lose you lose players for nine weeks during um, Six Nations. You lose them for five weeks in, in the autumn. So other guys have got to step up and play. And um, so you know, I reckon it's a real a benefit of the system. You know, uh, you got to put your faith in young guys and, and give them a crack. And and by and by and large, uh, guys have really fronted. So it's, it's been good. Yeah, so it's, a, it's a testament to the. The process. I mean, even like Zach, you mentioned Scott Cummins there. I even forget how young he is because he just seems to have emerged um, easily through the system. You know, Xander Ferguson as well. You think about Xander as an experienced uh, tighthead now, but you you forget how young he actually is. You know, when you started at Warriors, he was just he was an absolute kid. Yeah. So look, I've, I've been really impressed with Zan. Um I think he's got potential to be the best tight head in the world. He's he's an incredible athlete, got a got a big engine, you know, runs a four forty odd in a in a Bronco, which is just incredible for a front rower. Um and then his brutality around clean, round tackle, round counter ruck, 
Um, he's really come on as a scrummager. So, um, like, oh, he's a hell of a player, and um, you know, I watch his his progress with interest. One of the things you brought with you was this this reputation for expansive rugby, and Greg had already instilled that to an extent with the Warriors, and that this, this was a team that that wanted to play, but. In New Zealand, I guess there's the this cliche that you grow up with a rugby ball in your hand, and that's why the All Blacks are so good. Is because the first thing you do is pass a rugby ball. And did you find a challenge coming to to Scotland, where maybe that's not the case, and you had to maybe coach some of those skills that you were so used to coming naturally to the players you were working with, in terms of that game plan that you were trying to play? Yeah, like you said, um, obviously Greg was here and he had a positive mindset. Um, I guess we probably changed how they played a little bit. Um, uh, it was a lot about go forward, so we put a lot of emphasis around lightning quick ball, which is the quality of your carry and clean. So that, that means you've got to be pretty brutal to generate quick ball. Um, but we, you know, we asked our big men, and that's probably the biggest difference. I reckon the type five uh, uh, in New Zealand are generally highly skilled players, really good athletes, compared to maybe some of the type five guys over here. Plenty of good Lucy's and in this part of the world, plenty good, plenty good backs. Um, but yeah, like so, so some of it was around mindset and being prepared to have a crack from 90 meters when that was the obvious thing to do. But um, although we just tried to build up on what was already here and and um, you know, especially uh, put a lot of structure in around our counter and our and our, our turnover policy. Um, and we scored a hell of a lot of long range tries through that, which was was pretty exciting. So. You know, players really bought into it, um, and um, you know, it's certainly been a strong part of our game over the last three years. The game where we we saw that in abundance was Exeter at home in Europe in in your first season. Um, not sure if you remember, but we were scraping snow off the pitch with two minutes to go. It was it was That's a race to get the game on, but when it did, Paddy was uh, Paddy the groundsman got his socks off that day. He had the little tractor with the brush. And we literally got the last line. It was like hailstones. It was like it was like iced snow. It was like on the pitch. And they literally got the last line of the snow off the side. And then the referee basically blew and the game the game kicked off. It was uh, it was incredible. And you see it in the try the guys score their tries, the ice that bounces up out the pitch when they're sliding mm-hmm. in. Yeah, and I know it was a it was a hell of a performance because Exeter is such a good side, uh, but beating us down down in Sandy Park and uh, and if they'd beaten us that day, they'd qualify for Europe. So it was a lot on it for them. But um, although we had a golden sort of ten minute spell where we scored three long range tries and uh, that, that did enough to, to hold them off in the end. But um, yeah, I like I certainly vividly remember. A couple of those tries from the kickoffs. It's a uh, really good team tries and really, really positive mindset around how we're playing. So, uh, and vivid the big piles of snow on the sideline. Yeah, some of the some of my best memories over the time at Warriors with you, Dave, was definitely those European games. We had some really great performances. Um, a couple that stick in mind is the is the was the Leon at home, Leon home and away. So Leon at home was the one where it was iced rain. And remember, Cully almost, he was, he got yellow carded and almost died on the sideline. He was so cold during his 10 minutes in the bin. 
And then the, the Leon result away when we went over there. Beautiful stadium, beautiful day, great weather. And we absolutely tore them apart. It was a great performance. Not the biggest thing about that day. Biggest thing for me that day was John Humphreys announced he was leaving to join Wales. And it was the biggest cheer in the changing room. I remember everybody was crying with laughter. Remember that, Jack? There's a couple of people said it was the best day of their lives, I remember. Yeah, a couple of boys went and on. It was unbelievable. You got, you got pretty emotional at the front of a bus when he was telling everyone, hey, and I, I, don't, I don't think his microphone was working. He was kind of thing guys weren't responding. So, yeah, just as, as the, the performance that day, Dave, was incredible. The boys were absolutely on fire. It was a, it was a great day. It's funny, we talk about Connacht and how bad the weather was, but every time we start talking about other games, there's some shockers at Scottsdale too, weren't there? It was, um, oh. and that, that game... That game probably shouldn't have been played. It was that cold. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm really glad it was because we needed four points out of that to, to qualify in Europe. But um, yeah, freezing, freezing temperature. Yeah, that was those two games. Connacht was the wettest I've ever been by a mile, and that Leon game was the coldest I've ever been. It was it was ridiculous that night. It was insane. It was insane. That's when it's good oh, to be out the sideline. I know on the European stuff, I mean, it, it just seemed for me Saracens, quarterfinals, Glasgow. You know, I think we started it in Gregor's era, we continued it in your era. You know, we always seem to hit Saracens in the quarterfinals. But the, I just remember them as being, regardless of the result, they were really big occasions and it was where we wanted to be as a club and where we wanted to be playing. What's your, what's your memories of the, those Saracens fixtures? Yeah, look, I remember that first one at home. We ended up losing 13-3, I think it was. Uh, but an absolutely brutal game. We played really well. We let in uh, 10 quick points, and then there was an arm wrestle from there, and we had opportunities, just didn't nail it, and, you know, they're a good side, they're massive. So, but, you know, I remember both the Vunapola brothers were out for a long term after that. There was, was a lot of big injuries out of the game for them. So, well, we, we were really physical, and we stood up, and, you know, uh, obviously they're a good side and they went on to win it in the end. So, but yeah, look, um, it's a great comp because it's a chance to test yourself against the best teams in Europe. And, you know, there's so much um, uh, money and, and resource in the French teams and so on. And so, uh, you know, you're playing the best players in Europe, plus a hell of a lot of good players from the Southern Hemisphere. So, so they're very strong games and, and really cool to be part of. So, you know, disappointing that um, we didn't get through this year, and you know we uh, we should have we, we did enough, but um, but yeah, look, it was nice to be part of a dance uh, last season, but you know, disappointing that we we didn't front that well in that quarterfinal against the Saracens. We go back to that first season quickly. We how many games in a row did we win at the start of season ten? Kind of burst out the blocks and then ended up limping into the playoffs. What did you what did you learn from from that, that kind of, as a coaching team, you were able to implement the following season, which enabled us to go that step further? Yeah, I don't know. We, we put it down to a bit of attitude. Um, you know, we, we had a look at everything we did too, because that's, that's the key in the end. If you're, if you're not playing well at the business end of the season, what, what have we got wrong? Uh, but we were so far in front. Um, I think it was eight weeks, eight weeks, um, or eight rounds left, and we'd already qualified. And with about six to go, we'd already guaranteed to be in first place. 
on our side of a draw. So we just lacked edge, lacked intensity. Um, and, you know, so we, we lost, I don't know, maybe four out of six games heading into the playoffs and played poorly against Scarlets and missed out, you know. So it was a pretty limp finish to the season. And so, you know, we talked a lot about that and um, it was a motivating factor heading into the, the following year. And maybe one advantage was we, we didn't get way ahead. We uh, were a couple of points ahead of Munster and had to win our last seven or eight games in a row to uh, to hold them off. And, and We saw um, Finn Russell leave the club at the end of the year. Um, it's obviously been in the press at the start of this year with some controversy. I don't want to go into that too much, but I'd be keen to know what you saw in him as a player and what kind of player he was to coach from your perspective. Um, I look, I read Finn, he'd be, be one of the most talented players I've coached. Um, for, as a 10, his distribution game's phenomenal. Uh, he, he's a fantastic defensive player. Um, he's, he's got a pretty good kicking game and consistent, but, um, you know, and he's got, a, he's got a strong running game too. So oh, I think the biggest thing with Finn's around consistency, you know, uh, uh, on, his, on his day, he's, he's as good as any other 10 in the world. Uh, the best 10s in the world, day four times out of five, they're the best player on the field. And the, and the fifth time, they're pretty handy. And, and we'll probably see a little bit up and down with Finn. So, oh, look, oh, he's a good man. Hopefully, he hasn't lost his way. And, and hopefully, he can get another crack at international footy because, um, you know, he's been a special player and um, may need to make, um, I guess, some, some life choices around... Uh, uh, to give, him, give himself the best opportunity to play international rugby again. If we go on to um, your second season in charge, we've touched on some of the big European games, but there was one game when you, you actually weren't there. You were, you were back in New Zealand for your son's wedding. and This was, a, this was another great game. This was, uh, yeah, because the, they'd moved the season, remember? So you'd, you'd actually booked to go back to New Zealand in the, in the break for the, for the international season. Uh, to your son's wedding. Yeah, my, son, my son was getting married. Yeah, and then they changed the they changed the league dates, so you were actually back home for the our Ospreys gave it home, so you gave the you gave the reins to Kenny Murray for the night. Um, so a couple of things stand out for me that night. One of them was Nick Frisby's try saving tackle. Now, if he'd done anything for the club, it was that night. He chased a boy back from mm. halfway and stopped him inches short of the line. Now, we won. Was it 9-6, Jack? Was it 9-6 we won? 9-3 nine we won. Three. So it was an absolute game changer. Saved, saved, the, saved the game for us, no doubt. And the other, the other thing from that game was receiving a text from you, Dave. I think Nico, Nico wasn't having his best night. Now, the weather was shocking, to be fair to Nick's. <laughs> so he doesn't like the cold. So he was having a bad night, and I think he got he, he dabbled at a ruck and got yellow carded, and then my phone buzzed in my pocket, and it was a text from you telling me to radio up to Kenny to get Nico off the pitch if he doesn't sort himself out, which was hilarious at the time. Um, and actually, because we won the game, I read the I read the text out in the changing room afterwards, and the boys obviously loved it. And Nico, as you know, he just giggled and. Didn't think anything of it, um, but what was that like watching that no, game? I think I think 
Yeah, I think I started off with that text saying, Nico's lucky I'm 12,000 miles away. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, look, it was weird, wasn't it? Because, you know, I've never, never in my coaching career have I sat in front of a TV watching my team play. Um, but obviously, you know, my son had booked his wedding and it's not easy to get venues and so on. And then they changed the, the competition and move the game out of March and put it at the end of January. So anyway, um, had full confidence in Kenny running the ship. You can tell when the defence coach is in charge because it was the only time we, we didn't get a bonus point try that, uh, that season. We normally get four and we got none that day, but defended really well. Um, shocking weather again. Um, I'm watching, I don't know what time, maybe half past eight in the morning. And uh, the temperature is, um, it's, you know, about 25 degrees. I'm sitting there in shorts and beautiful blue sky and looking at the screen is horrendous. So, so yeah, um, I look, it's, it's the toughest game to watch ever. Um, I was out of my chair yelling and screaming at the TV often. So normally I'm, I'm reasonably calm, I think, but I had absolutely no influence or control over the game. So uh, I, I found it difficult. And Nico's dumb dumb penalty, which gave them a chance to steal it at the death. Um, wasn't his finest moment, but um, anyway, I, I gave him a cuddle as an apology when I when I finally got back to Glasgow. Let's talk about Nico. He was someone that you brought back to the club after being such a fan favourite in his first stint. What were you, what did you know about him? What were you told about him? And then did he did he live up to that when you when you got to work with him so closely? Yeah, look, I know you played a lot of nine for the club. You know, we used him predominantly as a winger. Um, the, the reason is, yeah, look, we all love Nico, but you've got nothing to do. And if you want to play structure, having him at nine, it's just every now and then he'll just pick what he wants to do and, and put you under a little bit of pressure. So as a winger, he's been phenomenal for us. And, and he, look, he's, he's not many wingers who are as quick and, and uh, powerful as he is. So... Um, but, you know, Ryan Wilson tells a fantastic story about Nico at Christmas, his first Christmas here. So I'd encourage someone to get Ryan on a podcast one day and retell that story. But, um, you know, it highlighted to me that, um, you know, he really cared about Nico. Nico cared about the club, was desperate to come back and after a bit of a stint down in Bath and, and so on. So, um, and look, he was fantastic. Um, you know, I've, I've got vivid memories of the try he set up for Nick Grigg, where he got a pass about three metres out from our goal line and would have run 90-odd metres and and uh, offloaded to Nick to, to score. So he's uh, got a special moments around Nickel. And Pam, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked you about Brian Wilson. As a manager, dealing with Nico Matawali, is herding yeah. cats an accurate phrase? Certainly, certainly a challenge. Nico was uh, was a challenge. I mean, he must he must have. It's had about at least four passports, at least four visas, four BRPs, forever losing them, leaving them. Usually tucked down the seat of a of a of a flight, the seat in front in the little pocket, in his iPhone, his his wallet, his passport, you name it. He's left it left it on a flight. But typical with Fijians and Islanders. Doesn't seem to bother them. They just say, "Hey, boss, I've I've lost my passport. I need a new one." You know, because anybody normal would freak out. Nico just takes it in his stride and just um, just waits on his new his new passport arriving. 
Um, but yeah, spe special character, um, great player, um, great to have him back at the club. Uh, and as Dave says, some of the performances he's put in um, at his second stint has been unbelievable. So really justified him, him coming back and being part of the club again. And it's not only the players who lose and forget their passports there. No, no, that's a good point. It's a good point. I think it was, what game was that, Dave? Was it Zebra away? Was it, Mon was it, was it Leon? Might have been uh, Leon. That was Montpellier. Mont Montpellier. The manager told me I, all I needed was my BRP card. That's what I thought. I, I thought I could ticky tour around oh, Europe without a passport. We get to the airport, Jack. We're at the airport. No passport. Oh, I remember. No, no. I found out. I found out. I was at the office when I when I worked it out. So I went home from the office. You guys went to the airport. So I made it in plenty of time, mate. It was how, so how long after you stepped on the plane did it take off? Oh, about twelve seconds. <laughs> also, you can't just say I went home to get it. You live in Sterling. It's not. It's, it's not like you popped around, put around the corner to pick it up. You done a ninety mile round trip. That's what you done. To be fair. Yeah. He got his toes on the flight, so he made it. That would have been a great start. Yeah, I was composed all the way, mate. You should have seen me in the car. If you look at your second season in charge, Dave, the the running was much smoother than the year before, and we kind of made the final by three of the best performances I can remember in my time in the club. There was that, that win away at the RDS. There was that win at home against Edinburgh, and then Ulster in the semi-final when we put 50 on them. Would you agree that they're, well, John, you too, would you agree that they're in your time at the club, that's kind of three of the best back-to-back -back performances? And it started at Leinster yeah. when Johnny Gray made, broke the world record for the number of tackles made in a game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, we beat Leinster in Leinster, which didn't happen very often, if at all. So it was a great, great way, great way to get the win. The performance was outstanding. The game was outstanding because... To be fair to Leinster, they were outstanding that day as well. It was a great game of rugby to watch. It was real back and forward for a long time. Johnny Gray's tackle count, absolutely incredible. I mean, what a individually, what a performance that day. Another thing that sticks out for me is, is Sammy Johnson's try. Just, I think that was the eureka moment and people sat up and thought, this kid can play a bit of rugby, you know? Um, and just unbelievable from Sammy. But yeah, massive performance that day, Dave. Yeah, and I look. I, what was what was good about it was the league changed hands a number of times. We got ourselves in a bit of a hole and fought our way out of it, and then finished over the top in the last twenty. We, you know, we scored a couple of tries from driving malls and and um, and been riding full time. Uh, went the length of the field, and you know, George Horn probably should have scored if Hoggy had thrown it back into him. He had a free run in from forty, but. You know, a few phases later, he picks up an intercept and ends under the bin anyway. So, yeah, look, it was a, it was a great day. And, and I agree, mate. We, we were excellent against Edinburgh the following week. Um, and then um, pretty emphatic against um, Ulster in that semi-final. But, you know, I'd trade all of those games, mate, for, uh, for a better performance in the final. Yeah. Is that... Is that is that what you just have it down to losing that final? Just uh, not not quite showing up on the day. Is that what went wrong? Oh, there was no, no shortage of desire. I mean, our preparation was excellent. I remember standing around with Humps a couple of days out, and we just we're looking at everyone training. We just finished training with, with into Warrior 15, which is our work on block. 
and the contribution of the guys outside the 23, you know, in those last few weeks was just phenomenal. They could show you everyone really cared. Everyone was working together. They were helping each other out. The um, non-23 brought a lot of edge training, so they were physical. Uh, it was just uh, excellent preparation. So we were confident. Um, unbelievable day the day before, beautiful sunshine and at uh, Celtic Park and Captain's run went well and she rained on game day and, you know, it's, uh, it, it shouldn't matter. Uh, but we just lacked a little bit of accuracy and whether it was the, uh, the, the moment or whether we come up against uh, an opposition that is so good at strangling you out of a game. But we had some chances early on to put them under a lot of pressure, didn't take them, and and uh, they're just so good at hanging on to the ball, aren't they, and choking the life out of us. So, so yeah, disappointing, yeah, hugely disappointing day. And, you know, we'd played so well in the previous nine weeks, um, played great footy, really on top of our game. So it's just disappointing that we didn't put on that same quality of performance. Disappointing for us, disappointing for our fans. And, what an occasion it was, you know, at Celtic Park, massive crowd, and uh, yeah, but in the end, uh, come up short. Yeah, the fans, the fans out there were were incredible. Just, um, I was so happy that the club made the final for the fans, just so they would they had a final in their own backyard. It would have been it would have been devastating to have a final at Celtic Park and Glasgow weren't in it. But then mm. that's balanced with the with the result on the day, you know, and it's. I think we would swap anything for that just to get that win that day, Dave, as you said. Um, but still, yeah, when I look back that, Dave, still a fantastic, still a fantastic day for the club um, to have your final in your own your own city. Um, but the result, obviously, yeah, I, I think it always hurts. You know, we we lost eighteen fifteen, so you know we uh, we we didn't fire as many shots as we'd like, and we only lost by three. You know, so. Um, uh, but again, it, it talks about the character of Leinster. I think we were we were on um, all cylinders. I think you know, they had a big year. They they'd lost the European final a couple of weeks earlier, and yeah, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was certainly the opportunity was there for us to to roll them, and uh, you know, and then we uh, we went sharp enough. So we'll uh, we just have to take that on the chin, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. That game was uh, Stuart Hogg's last for the club. We um, can't go through mentioning personalities and characters that you've, you've coached without without mentioning him because he'd, he'd have a tantrum. Um, how did you find coaching Hoggy for well, the handful of games that he was available to you? I think my first year, Hoggy played five or six games, so, which made him the highest paid player per minute um, in the world. Um, I, I gave him a lot of stuff about it, which he, uh, he he didn't like, but um, but he played quite a few in that, in that second year and started off with a few, and in the middle he was out for a long chunk of it with a bit of injury and international commitments, and then had a big run for us at the end. And so, like he's a hell of a player, and he um, incredibly explosive, huge kicking game, and you know, disappointed for him, it would have been a fantastic way for him to leave the club. Um, you know, with a with another trophy, but um, you know, he's he certainly won a lot of fans over down at Sandy Park, and uh, so like, we miss him. He's, a, he's such a good man. So uh, you know, I love, I love my time uh, coaching him, and um, you know, no doubt um, I'll have an opportunity to coach against him again. 
done a I done a podcast with him last week, um, Dave, and I asked him the question about that kick at Scotsdale, and I asked him the truth. I said, answer this truthfully. What were you thinking when you were kicking at? Did you really want it to go over, or would you like it just the way it was? It never went over, and he said he wanted it to go. He wanted it to go over because he's an Exeter player and he wanted Exeter to win even in front of the Glasgow fans. So what, what do you what do you think when you hear that? Did you tell Did you tell him he had a shocker that game? Got outplayed by Glenn Bryce. That's what I would have told him. <laughs> no, I, didn't. <laughs> I didn't mention that. He said that he said that he moved the ball off the line. And he moved it back a yard, and that's why he missed. But that's it. Uh, that's arrogance. I think we've we've missed over somebody there. Just talking about Hoggy in that first season was uh, was Jacko coming in to replace Hoggy that first season. Again, that's something that sticks in my mind is Jacko coming back to the club, coming out of nowhere. And I think he was voted Player's Player that year, wasn't he, Jack? Was he voted Player's yeah, Player? Yeah, he was. Yeah, I agree. I thought Jacko, obviously predominantly a team. Uh, we asked him to play 15, and um, his experience, say, his, his confidence back there uh, did a fantastic job, didn't he? So, and he's unlucky not to play in the big games at the end of the year, because, since, and likewise in year two, because he played a lot of good footy for us. But obviously, when Hoggy was available, yeah, had to leave that man out. If we look more at this season, Dave, it's obviously been a bizarre season for so many reasons. It's the World Cup. At the start, made made it made it difficult to get any momentum going, and then this this pandemic at the end means that we're only going to see three quarters of it with you in charge, at least. Um, are there any particular highlights we mentioned? Um, some of the big European games, La Rochelle away was one that you must have been pretty pleased with that performance out there. Yeah, look, I thought we played pretty well in Europe. Um, yeah, we played pretty well um, against Exeter, but the third quarter. Um, you know, lost the kicking battle and made a couple of errors and they hurt us. So, um, you know, but we'd beaten Sale at home. Uh, La Rochelle win away from home was excellent. And just so disappointing that we played poorly in shocking weather again the following week. Um, yes, yeah, so I was disappointed to lose to La Rochelle at home after playing so well uh, the week before. And, you know, um, so ultimately that hurt us. We... We should have got five points against Exeter and played really well, scored four tries. Should have got eight that day, I reckon. And um, I left a couple of points there. We got three from that and picked up five points at sale the week after. So, um, yeah, and then we fell one point short and yeah, we're good enough to be in that top eight. So, hugely disappointing that. And, um, you know, and yeah, you're right, Jack. We got off to a poor start. Um, and it doesn't matter how many players we had at the World Cup. We had 16 missing, but we played a lot of rugby without our international boys, and uh, we just didn't play well enough. We, um, uh, you know, made, made too many errors and, and got punished for it. So we lost three of the first four games, and but we you know we fought our way back into Pro 14 and and got into the top three and outside of a draw, and. Um, we would have backed ourselves to qualify from there, and then who knows? You know, we we qualified top the first two years, and that didn't help us win. So maybe coming in third might have uh, might have been better. But um, yeah, yeah, no, it was uh, it was a mixed start, and uh, but we played some pretty good footy after that. If you were to look back over your tenure as a whole, what are you what are you most proud of? Is it a certain? Is it one of those games we've spoken about? Is it? As John mentioned, is it the, the development of the young Scottish talent? Is it 
um, something you've seen from an individual? Is there something that stands out that where when you look back at this period of your career that you'll you'll be most fond of or most proud of? Oh, I think it's a lot of things. Um, yeah, I reflect on that Scarlet game um, in the second year where um, Alex Allen got Simbin after 18 minutes. Or, or sorry, Simbin got sent off after 18 minutes. So we played with 14 players for three quarters of the game. Um, you know, we had, we had 17 of our international boys rested because we had a big game in Europe the following week. And, and Scarlet turned up with a pretty fully loaded side. and um, you know, it was a hell of a performance from a lot of young men and so on. So it covers a lot of bases, I guess. Good young fellows who fronted on the big stage when we were under a bit of pressure. And I thought tactically we were really smart and should have won that game by plenty in the end. Conceded a couple of late tries and won by about eight. But I thought that was pretty special. Um, amazing night for the crowd. The crowd got right behind it, uh, the guys and so on. So, um, but I look... I don't know, there's, there's great people in our club. Uh, I've really treasured that. I think from a management point of view, I've I've never laughed so much as I have in, in this organisation. We uh, we work hard, um, you know, we do big hours, but, um, but, you know, we have a lot of fun. And uh, so I think that's been brilliant, you know, something I really treasure. And, you know, the players, fantastic men, real, real high quality, uh, real community focused. A great work ethic, and um, so you know, I've 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 been lucky enough to coach some awesome men while I've been here, and work with some great people. So I think it's as much off the field that I'll treasure as, as stuff that's on it. It's not just yourself who's who's leaving at the end of the season. Jason Halloran, as you mentioned at the top, is is going to be moving on. Um, Callum Gibbons, who we spoke about a lot, is going to be moving on. Ray Jackson's retiring. Tim Swinson's retiring. Johnny Gray will be moving on. Dougie Mills will be moving on, although he doesn't know it yet. Um, <laughs> how much have people like that contributed to your three years here? I look massively, um, as everyone does. It's, it's a huge amount of experience leaving, you know, when you read those names out, eh? And, and, um, but it's the nature of the game. You know, guys, guys move on and it's an opportunity for young guys to come through. Um, there's some real leadership in amongst that group too, and, and then some real high character. So obviously Kelly, I think Kelly's been phenomenal here as a role model. Um, yeah, he's just been brilliant. And so fantastic player and uh, hard to replace those sort of guys, I reckon, for what they, they bring um, on and off the field. So, you know, you look at Johnny and the work rate you get, you look at Swino, you're the most annoying man uh, to an opposition. Um, and the manager. And the manager. Snivel his way through and end up on the other side of a moor. He's brilliant, brilliant to coach, uh, but he'd be an absolute pain in the backside if you're coaching against him. So, you know, and I look at, you know, we talked about Jacko's contribution and so on. It's, um, yeah, look, he's, he's good men leaving, it's, um, but it's just the nature of the beast nowadays. I think you throw, just talking about somebody like Gibbo, Dave, you throw somebody like Fuzzy in there again. And the reason I mentioned Fuzzy is because he's, He's a homegrown lad, you know, he's been at Warriors his whole career. And I know that personally you you've seen a lot of strengths in Fuzzy um in terms of what he put, does for the team, not just on the pitch but off the pitch. Um Yeah, look, there's, there's a number of there's a number of quality guys in there. Look, I think one thing with Fuzzy, he's got a real competitive edge. 
Um, so at training, if there's a stoush up, it's either Tim Swinson or, or, or Fuzzy involved in it. Uh, and I love I love the edge that he brings to training. He's a competitive man. Um, I reckon his game has grown a hell of a lot in the last two or three years. And, and I reckon guys like Kelly have had a big part in that. You know, uh, they train a lot together and they bring the best out of each other and so on. And so yeah, look, he's he's a he's a high quality man. But you know, you talk about other guys like Peter Horn and and so on. We just uh, there are really a lot of high quality people. I I think it can be taken for granted, you know. But um, yeah. I, I was fortunate to come out of a great, great club with the Chiefs, and you know, I've been equally impressed with the, the quality of the men here. A quick uh, quick word for Jason Haller and Dave, someone you've worked with for an awful awful long time, and been been there by your side for an awful lot of your career. Um, what effect has he had on the club? Kind of one of the one of the more quiet coaches. You known to disappear to his room rather than socialise with us on an away day. But but what yeah, the influence he's had on the pitch is there to be seen. Yeah, he's he's potentially the richest man in the world because I've never seen Bogues spend any money. Uh, when we go to Africa, he he didn't spend one rand. He did that. Yeah, one Coffee and shortbread. He lived in his shortbread in his room for a week. Yeah, you know, he, um, if there was no lunch, he'd sit in his room and, and eat the uh, biscuits that come out with the old cup of tea and that sort of thing. So, um, I look, I, I coached, I played against folks when I was an old fella and he was young. Um, I coached him when I was coaching Wellington. Uh, then we coached together at Manor Two, and I was keen to get him into the Chiefs with us, actually. And then uh, Vern lured him over this way but you know it turned out pretty good he was over here and we we're able to lure him across to uh to glasgow but he's he's, he's special uh you know one of the best tech coaches in the world and uh hence the reason i was keen to keep him over here so yeah like it's uh you know it's time for him to move on as well and i can't tell you where he's going but he's uh, he's got a great role where he's heading and um and um like i'm sure he had the same impact there and and be honest, likewise, all the other coaches that I've worked with here, real high quality. Um, I think that's the key too as a coach. You surround yourself with good people, uh, whether they're coaches or, or management, and makes a massive difference. So, you know, it's all those other guys, um, you know, Humps and uh, Mike Glear, the, uh, the chest club team. They, for those who don't know those guys, they, they disappear for 10 minutes and always down at the gym, uh, you know, bench pressing 45 kilos each. They've been talking about how awesome they are and so on. So that was always entertaining. Um, you know, I mean, guys like um, Kenny Murray, who as a defence coach, uh, I should apologise to Kenny because of the type of game that we play. It does tend to put a defence coach under pressure at times. So uh, he'd probably be happier if we were kicking the ball a hell of a lot more. But, you know, I think the passion that Kenny and JD and Humps and all the other guys I've coached with here, Petrus, it's uh, it's been excellent. We've had great trainers and and uh, so a lot of really good people at the club. Not as far I reckon, we're, the club's in good hearts. Um, yeah, and so and obviously the fan base phenomenal. Um, I was really taken back the first game at home. I just didn't realise how vocal uh, and engaged in the game the crowd were going to be, and so all the chanting and that it was it's really special. So. I've really loved that, and um, we get a massive crowd that travel with us too, and so the 16th Warrior and so on is, you know, a real, real genuine 
uh, supporters of a club um, who spend a lot of money traveling around the world supporting us. So, so brilliant. So, we'll, you know, Steph and I will take away some great memories uh, in and around the people. And, and in the end, that's the main thing. But I think that's a, a good a moment to end it as any. I'm sure I speak on behalf of everyone at Glasgow Warriors and Scottish Rugby who says thanks so much for your, your three years of service and the memories that you gave us in charge. And just we could have gone through every game and mentioned every game. There were there were moments in it that are so memorable. And I hope you're looking forward to your new role and we look forward to having a beer with you again when you when you're back over this end of the world and in that in that coaching box opposite Gregor and coaching against those guys you know so well. Yeah, Dave, just just from the from me as well, just a pleasure to work with you over the last two or three years. Um got cut a bit short when I moved over here, but yeah, on behalf of everybody, it's been it's you brought a breath of fresh air and a, a real uh, positive vibe to the club. Um, I've learned a lot from you. I've brought some of it over to the States here. So yeah, it's been it's been great times. As you say, a lot of laughs, but had some great times together. And hopefully it won't be the last. Yeah, yeah, no, like I, like I say, boys, uh, you guys uh, were a big part of that, um, the fun that we've had in amongst all that hard graph. So, yeah, I love, we've, we've loved it. So, you know, thanks to everyone who's been a part of that. Warriors Weekly, Glasgow Warriors official podcast.